talking about here on All Things Apostolic for some time, and particularly in the last two days, about uh, how the how you take the 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 message of the Bible in its most universal and broadest form and begin to see what the narrative is and what the story is of what God's attempting to accomplish on earth. To do this, we looked at that first chronologically at ages, uh, that there are three ages that are listed that, that scripture falls into. Uh, then we talked about uh, smaller segments within uh, the antediluvian age and within the present age and within the age to come uh, in which God is dealing with man in a progressive manner, meaning this is, this is a very important point, meaning that man's history has meaning. It has purpose and it is moving toward a consummation. Uh, it is not just random, willy-nilly, you live now, you die like a dog, you're buried and everything's over and earth has no particular goal in mind. This is in contrast to all of that, that there actually is a progression of God moving through human history that comes to a preconceived consummation that God himself lays out for us in scripture. And this is why the Bible is of an inestimable value far beyond all the other books in the world piled up a million times over. And that because it's the only book that gives us that revelation, that revelation comes to us in a dispensational reading, which we are looking at from a view that heretofore, I don't know of anybody. I'm not trying to be elitist. I don't know of anybody who's looked at it from this viewpoint and bringing to the table an apostolic hermeneutic, an apostolic Pentecostal hermeneutic. Well, this is what we're attempting to do. Any of you who are listening, watching, have joined us, we welcome you. We welcome your, your contributions. We welcome your suggestions. We welcome your critiques. We welcome, it's not like we are trying to ram anything down anybody's throat. We are trying to, we are trying to navigate the present days in which we live uh, without getting caught in an entanglement somewhere that is less than the optimal scriptural revelation. We're not worried about getting things that are new or novel. We're not worried about what people say is this old fashioned or is that old. None of that makes a, not one whit of difference. We are searching for the truth. And as I think many of you are that are uh, listening to us and hearing us and seeing us. So we're just glad that you joined us. We're glad that you're here. Uh, now, for the last couple of days, we've been trying to finally get around to at least enumerating what the dispensations are and talking about them a little bit. So maybe we can at least get started today. So who wants to start talking about the dispensation of innocence? Uh, it kind of reminds me of what uh, uh, Tommy Kraft used to say. You got to tell them something before you tell them something. Oh, yeah. You talk about <laughs> young people. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is you got to tell them something before you can tell them anything. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to just jump into dispensations without providing some background of what is there. Uh, but as we look at the economies, if you will, these dispensation uh, periods, times, uh, economies, the way the way the 
the sovereign rule of God was managed or stewarded. Uh, it was done. You can see scripturally how things were appropriated and managed differently. And so let's kick off with the first one that we're, we're probably all very familiar with. And uh, secular songs and books have been written about the age of innocence. Uh, and that comes from this understanding of what we would call the dispensation of innocence, which is found uh, in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through Genesis 3, 24, in what we would call this, this season or economy of innocence. And uh, a basic way of understanding is, is that man is created, man and woman are created in the image of God, placed into the garden in this perfect environment. Uh, they are placed there. All is given to them as far as dominion. They have been made in the image of God. They are given the responsibility of expanding. We know that we know the garden had boundaries because they were removed from it. There's an angel with a flaming sword after the failure that keeps them out. So the idea was that in their innocent, perfect condition, they are given dominion over this garden and over the earth to take it and expand it. That was their responsibility. In this garden relationship or perfection, there was what Bible scholars call favorable disposition. And this is the relationship with God in that they walked with God or the voice of God, whatever. That's a, that's a topic for another day. How do you walk with the voice of God? Uh, it even lends itself to the living word incarnate. That's another subject for another day. But they are walking with the voice of God. There is favorable disposition in their perfection and in their innocence. And they are given one responsibility uh, uh, of what they are not to do, and that is do not partake of a set-apart tree. That tree was held in a spot, if you will. It was held in a separate place. They were not to partake of that because there were consequences to that. And so in this perfection, in this state of innocence, there was this favorable disposition. But uh, through the deception of the serpent, uh, serpent uh, he begins on the weaker vessel. He works on the image issues that uh, have continued to this day. Uh, he attacks the image, then he twists the word and deceives Eve. Eve is deceived in her innocence, and then she begins to uh, come home or whatever it is and begins to work on Adam. Adam is not deceived, but chooses uh, to partake uh, rather than being left out of relationship with her. And in the moment that they partook of the tree, they died spiritually. There was an immediate separation. And what that separation, separation was is that favorable disposition was lost. And in that moment, everything switched. And we see that now those innocent human beings are now outside of, outside of favorable disposition. Now there is a hiding there is a distance that is there. They recognize eating of the tree uh, that they are naked and they know they are not in right standing. And so they attempt to hide themselves. And it was in that moment that physical death began to work in their body. The ground is cursed and the perfect environment is changed. And this is that, that dispensation of innocence and favorable disposition uh, is ended uh, but even in the judgment that comes, and one of the things we're going to see as we move through these 
through these dispensations is we're going to see that there are some things that carry over. And a dispensational reading from an apostolic perspective is that the, the doors are not slammed and that's over. There are things Very that good. carry over into the next. And this is why we don't hold to a classical uh, uh, process uh, of looking at these dispensations. We're going to see that grace. There it is. People that want to say, well, you dispensationalists, you don't believe grace shows up till later. Well, grace shows up immediately here in Genesis 3, uh, 15, and a ray of hope, a promise is given uh, as this, this innocence dispensation comes to a close. And uh, it is the promise of the Redeemer. And that's the very first promise that is given as grace that God of love manifests his grace by waking, making a way even in this time of judgment as this dispensation comes to a close. So uh, that's just kind of, I would just give the you know 30,000 view of what the dispensation of innocence is. Very good. Very good. Uh, Fast, you got anything to say on that? No, I thought that was wonderful. Uh, again, just reiterating that we don't, we are not classic dispensationalists in that we have all of these, I guess maybe you could call them hard separations. Um, we do understand that it is, it is the grace of God. There's an era that's going to be called right. grace, but it's also the grace of God that's reaching to us at every point in history, at every point in scripture. So I thought that was very good. Yes. There was uh, uh, maybe just a, a quick observation talking about covenants is that they were in the garden uh, and here's an example of what uh, we were talking about yesterday or day before, whenever uh, they were in the garden and their, the relationship with God there was established on what we call the Edenic Eden, Edenic covenant yes. and or Edenic covenant, uh, which was between God and them. And um, God's covenant was that he would walk with them, that he would commune with them, that he would be with them in the garden. And their responsibility was really their side of the covenant, bilateral covenant here. Their side of the covenant was that they do not eat of the tree. It was like the only uh, requirement, um, uh, which is in broader terms, obedience. Mm -hmm. And so yes. immediately you see the necessity of obedience before you see uh, blood sacrifice, before you see anything else you see the necessity for obedience so uh that's good very good i, I wanted to, i wanted to add something just to kind of tack on to what pastor young just said uh, or how he just to kind of add to what he was saying about innocence uh it's interesting the uh it's interesting the the terminology that's used going into the very next dispensation and i think Pastor Young is going to be talking about dispensation of conscience in just a moment. But in Genesis 3, 7, uh, it uses terminology that later we'll use for revelation. It says, and the and both of their eyes were open. When they ate oh. the when they ate of that tree, their eyes were open. Well, in this particular thing, in this in this particular discussion of the dispensation of innocence, moving into conscience, they become aware. Their eyes are open. Uh, this is this is uh, to me, this is much easier to see than something that we have to pull out of the air um, and just say, well, this is this is kind of inferred. No, that's pretty plain to see prior to eating the fruit that we're talking about the change from one from one era to another prior to eating the fruit. Their eyes were not open. That doesn't mean that they were blind physically. That means there were things that they didn't understand. But then when you get to Genesis three, 
their eyes are opened. And so we go right into a, an era of consciousness. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and I think one other point there that is important is that from the very outset here, you see a progression and that there are things that are taken out of this very first covenant of innocence uh, that are carried on. And when we look at all of these dispensations, we're going to see that there's things established in these dispensations and in these covenants, which become part of earth life and part of uh, relationship with God uh, from then on and relationship with one another. So that's great. Well, you've done a great start, Pastor. Why don't you just go ahead? Okay, so we see, uh, as, as Brother Wilbex just mentioned, their eyes were opened. We are now moving into what we call the second dispensation, which is the dispensation of conscience, which is found Genesis 4, 1 through uh, 8, chapter 19 of Genesis. And this, this dispensation lasted until the fall of, uh, uh, from the fall of man until the Noahic flood, and which again ties in. This is why we took the time to talk about the antediluvian age on the first or second day of this discussion. And so this is kind of, you're seeing how now these these dispensations fit within this this meta narrative and and the big pieces that are working. And we're going to see how now in conscience God is is managing or stewarding. Uh, his will differently than in the garden. I mean, it's it's very obvious as we just see it. It's not that God changed, but now man has changed because as Brother Will makes pointed out, the scripture said their eyes are open. So there's going to be a different management or stewarding of these people. They are now in a fallen condition. You can't work with fallen the way you do innocence. There has to be a different management. And, uh, this idea of conscience that now is in their understanding. And there is a natural thing that happens. Paul would pick up on this uh, later on in scripture and talk about by nature, those that by nature uh, do the things that are contained in the law. It was innate. It was within the nature of, of that conscience that man uh, and woman learn. Now, it's, here's an interesting thing, and here's another. We're going to see we're going to see one of those progressions. We're going to see how one of these things that carries over. Why again, an apostolic reading uh, and a Pentecostal look at uh, you, you can't just put these things in boxes and slam it shut. And one is the striving of the spirit. So you're saying, what? Well, what do you? What do you mean the striving of the spirit is in the in the dispensation of conscience? The spirit was working on man and woman or humanity. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter six and three, that God's spirit was striving or ruling or working with man during the days prior to the flood. So now you have a conscience, you have God working. He's, he's, he's speaking. How do we know that? The Bible says that he spoke to Cain. The spirit is appealing. He's, he's coming. We see indication of the paraclete coming alongside. Come on, Cain. You know, he God is talking, okay? So again, here's a picture of grace. Here's a picture of the paraclete. Here's a picture of God coming alongside in this dispensation of conscience, speaking to how his mind by nature, you should know this, Cain, recognize, and his spirit is, is working there. So in this dispensation, man has the responsibility to obey 
on the basis of his conscience. That's good. And how the spirit is speaking <clears throat> to his conscience. Okay. And so, and one of the reasons, let me, let me jump ahead to, uh, we're going to move into human government in a moment. Uh, you're going to watch as these dispensations unfold is that man's ability to be able to obey is going to increase. He's in innocence, but now his conscience is open. The spirit speaks. His conscience is to interact. He's going to move out of that. And now there's going to be government attached. So now there's going to be law, uh, human government established in the next one that is going to help him. And you're going to see this whole progression that's going to move all the way through this. But in dispensation of conscience, now the spirit is speaking to awaken that conscience, if you will, to how uh, he should live. But as we're going to see in all of these dispensations, as man fails, he doesn't live up to his responsibility. Cain refused even when the spirit reached, according to Genesis 4 and 6. Cain uh, kills his brother. And uh, then as a result, a godless civilization develops. And that's how the dispensation of conscience ends. There's violence. There's polygamy. He overrides his conscience. He's not listening to the striving. And the Bible says that every imagination, it's a direct attack upon the conscious. Every imagination of the thoughts of his hearts were only evil and it's redundant. It says continually. So this is how it ends. And it's to that point that we see another one of those epical shifts as the flood comes to end the dispensation of conscience to wipe the slate clean. But again, we see hope offered and the grace of God reaches back even in that dispensation and makes a way uh, with a family, an ark, and the saving of a household. So that's just kind of the thumbnail, I guess we could say, of conscience. We are making progress. Join us tomorrow. Thank you for being with us today.